It's time for the 3304 Sports Podcast with your hosts, Dan Steinbeck and Coldborn Borkstrom. Welcome in to the 3304 Sports Podcast here on a Monday. If you looked at all of the Mondays on the calendar, this was certainly one of them. Uh, I, I, I need the sun to go away, man. I just need it to start getting colder and stuff. I, I, I will say I was able to walk around to my classes today in a sweatshirt and jeans, and I was comfortable. I wasn't dying or anything. But I mean, I, I, it wasn't the most comfortable. Like it wasn't brisk. I, I need the sun to go away. I need to stop being summer. All right. Yeah. Uh, guys, listeners, friends, you know who I am. You know who my co-host is. Uh, I want to welcome into the show. But before I do so, I want to acknowledge him as being the least intelligent man, uh, potentially, in the entire region of Blacksburg, Virginia. And here's why, before you come out and try to defend yourself. This man did it again. He hit. Okay, we're recording this on Monday, so Monday Night Football hasn't happened yet. He has hit 14 of 15 picks. And, and, I, and I've hit a respectable amount as well. I've hit a respectable amount, but he still gained two games on me because Miami had to doink a field goal. Here's where... Shut up. Here's where... <laughs> here's where I call him dumb. Because this man is hitting at an, an astounding 66%. I'm back over the 53% marker, which is respectable, which is highly considered to be good. But when I look at it this way, Mr. Bergstrom, did you bet any money on your money line picks from the college side of our selections this past Friday or Thursday? Oh, that that's happened? what? You can't bet until you're 21, I'm pretty sure. So, no. Oh, yeah, no, totally. I don't condone that at all. But do you know? <laughs> that if any of our listeners, wink, wink, uh, took their hard-earned money and bet an eight-leg parlay featuring Mr. Bergstrom's picks from Friday oh, no. or Thursday or whatever, whenever oh, I put that up. Okay, I get this. Do you want to know where? Do you want to know what your odds would be? I honestly, I'm scared to know. Plus fifty-three hundred. If you bet a hundred dollars, you would be walking to the bank. With $5,300 cash in your pocket. And if you decided for some reason fade us on Los Angeles and think that, you know, the Cardinals would have just had Kyler Murray slanging that thing all over the field and Matt Stafford would have resorted to his Detroit ways, you'd be going into Monday Night Football with a 15-leg parlay. You'd be looking like that guy that got like a hundred something thousand dollars from DraftKings or whatever he did. You'd be going into tonight. If you're on our side, we think the Chargers are going to win tonight. You'd be going in with a 16-leg parlor potentially in hand and, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars at your disposal. So I'm here simply because this man, I, I don't know why, he, why he's with me, because he should be out at Atlantic City, and he should be just basically giving us the Eli Manning special, the double bird, saying, huh, all those losers going to college trying to get educated. I'm out here just spending money on whatever team I think is going to win a football game, and I'm making cash, hand over fist. How do you do it? What, what, I, how did Miami miss that field goal, man? <laughs> I mean, that was the part. Lucky. I could have gone into the weekend thinking, hey, I finally gained a game on him. I needed to make the start, the slow and steady, <laughs> the slow and steady comeback. Doink. <laughs> that was so bad. I watched it and I'm like, oh, because I, I actually watched most of that UVA Miami game. Uh, just because I, I knew I thought it was going to be okay. That Miami offense was so bad in the first half, and I was going to be so disappointed. 
I actually, I, I remember even on my, like my professional account, I tweeted it and I talked about the fact that I'm like, oh, Miami's office just came back to life. It kind of blows to lose this bet like this, but whatever. I mean, you move. And then, you know, all of a sudden, as I'm watching it, the toy happens and then I, <laughs> I tweeted because I felt bad, but I wanted, I wanted to, you know, tweet about it. Oh, that's, that was so bad. I honestly don't think you can come back down to earth at this point. I, I'm re- I'm resigning myself from it, but this, <laughs> this is just, like you know I I feel good about the John Parker Romo misses now. That's all I'm gonna say. I feel good about <laughs> it. After watching that, I'm like you know what? It's okay. I'm happy with John Parker. At least he hasn't done it to lose a game yet. <laughs> oh my or, god! Or at least it hasn't been that bad. Literally center of like the field goal. You're like within you know like a ch- twenty yards. Like you're basically at strike the easiest chipping distance ever, and you just doink it. Yeah, that's horrible. There, there was a that's big doink. There was a big doink last night too uh, on Sunday Night Football. By the way, that game sure, was a stinker. But in fairness, that's at fifty yards. Okay, are you going to ask me about that uh, in our any in our NFL episode? Are you going to ask me about uh, that game? We'll we'll talk about it, but okay, we'll say we'll save it for then then because I how do you not go for no, fourth of course, down? Of how do you not go down for fourth down there? But I digress. All right, um, main. Focus of today's episode, of course, you guys know it's a Monday, so that means all college football. Uh, but even though Virginia Tech was on a bye week, I still found a way to work them into this episode. And all right, you know, I'll, I'll give you those topics. But quick shout out to the Ben's basketball program. They had a press conference today too. I watched all of that. It was so great to hear Dave Cunningham's voice. He had a lot of questions in too. I, I he was really hogging the sneaking time there. Uh, but shout out to go Dave Cunningham. Uh, so hearing from Mike Young, Kevin Luma, Justin Mutz. And newcomer Storm Murphy, very excited for basketball season. We're going to be bringing you guys our preview on Friday before the picks in the ACC power rank. Uh, but shout out to the men's basketball program. Big commit yesterday, Sunday, landing four-star Rodney Rice from DeMatha Catholic, uh, the high school that Mike Jones, the powerhouse that Mike Jones built, assistant coach. Powerhouse high school program in Maryland. You know, great to see Rodney Rice. I, I think it was what he's the, he's a top three commit in Virginia Tech history so mm-hmm. elite talent coming to this program man what, what, what else can you say other than Mike Young ever since he's gotten here we have seen steady progress in the right direction you have the first year you know you get off to a hot start that Michigan State win was huge uh you taper off at the end of the season and then last year you have a step up you know real relevancy in conference play you get a double buy uh you don't win an ACC tournament game you know you have a outstanding uh, first half in the NCAA tournament, but you just fall behind. And, you know, we'll get into it really when we talk about them on Friday, but it, it just feels like this program's momentum just continues to go and go. And, and this year could be really special. They've got a really good assortment of experienced players playing together. Now, there are, there are some potential faults in the roster, I think, and we'll address those when we get to it. But, you know, overall, Mike Young, what, what else can you say that he's just done a bang-up job since he's come here? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's really not much else you can say. To give a little bit of detail into Rodney Rice, uh, for any, anyone that doesn't have too much of an idea on him, he's kind of a combo guard. A lot of the stuff that uh, Mike Young really that seems to tend to look for. I remember when we were recruiting uh, one of those combo guards out of OU uh, last winter, I think, that it was starting to be talked about. Uh, Oklahoma, I know, is pretty good with basketball uh, recruits, uh, particularly because I know because there's some guys that go to Kansas. So, so he, he, it seems like he kind of fits that way. He's a six, four guard as well. So really good build for a guard um, to even give you a little bit of uh, rankings wise. He's 52 in the nation 
uh, with a nine at co a combo guard. So pretty impressive. And we were able to get him over the likes of Alabama, Louisville, Connecticut, and Georgetown, which is very impressive, particularly Alabama, you know, uh, the number one of the number two seeds in the NCAA tournament last year. Yeah, they had a great season last year. Really good momentum for that and program, too. to add to the names – yeah, I mean, no, absolutely. And Alabama's a great program. But to even add to the names uh, that you're saying for our uh, top prospects, I'm pretty sure the other two right ahead of him are Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who is now starting in the NBA. NBA and guy. one that I actually didn't know, it was Dorian Finney-Smith. Yep. Who's a five-star. Uh, that was 2011, if I remember right, because I looked it up uh, – because I saw it today. Yeah, and I was in Techman so, back then. I'm, I'm pretty sure he transferred to NC State. So when you think of him in the NBA, you, you think of him as a Wolfpack. But, I, I yep. mean – he just said it. There, there's your groundwork there. This is a guy that, you know, and Virginia Tech's not a one-and-done factory. They're not an NBA factory. We know this, but it's a guy yeah. that could come in even for a couple of years maybe and develop his game and become a real special player, not just in conference play, but nationally as well, potentially. Uh, he's got a good staff, you know, good relationship with Mike Jones, obviously. And, you know, that, that could be an NBA talent. He could be an NBA guy. He could develop here yep. into that sort of player. I mean, Vinny Smith and NAW did, and NAW is having a really nice career. Uh, Finney Smith has been in the league for a while, so we'll, we'll see what comes of it, but it's just, it's good momentum. And I, I, I looked at it earlier, I, I forgot, I think their national rank now with him in their 2022 class, uh, as well as with, uh, Walker Kessler and I think it's MJ Collins. Uh, I, I think they're top 20 in the nation. So recruiting classes just continue to go up and up and, you know, that's credit to Mike Young, his recruiting, he he's gotten in so many, I, I swear, I see so many graphics with, you know, top level, you know, four-star, five-star players where in their final top 10, Virginia Tech's there. And maybe they're not landing, landing some of these guys, but they're in the conversation. And that's not something you expect from a Virginia Tech program. Now, like when Buzz Williams took them to the height of their program, you know, it's the top 10 team, sweet 16 appearance, and then he bounced. And you know, no one knew what Virginia Tech basketball could return to because Virginia Tech basketball isn't all that special. But Mike Young is building something here. And he, I honestly think this is a destination trip for him. You know, he's from the area, loves his job here, has a great relationship with the community. I think he wants to stay here for a while. I think he wants to finish his career here after a long and successful tenure at Wofford. I think he wants to build something here. And I think this year can be really special. We'll see what, what happens after this year. Cause I mean, there's so much experience uh, leaving this team in the next couple of years, but seeing Rodney Rice come into the program, you know, it could be the next step uh, in evolution for Virginia Tech basketball. So very excited there. So moving along from that, and we'll get that basketball preview to you guys out on Friday. Let's talk a little bit of football because you know, we had the bye week this week, so nothing to complain about, you think. Um, but but here, here's where I am. And I, I had to take a reflective look at myself this past week. And I had a conversation with some friends, and it came down to what Virginia Tech football really was as a program. And I, I think I needed some help understanding where more dedicated fans were. Because, I mean, again, I, I've only been a fan of this team for three years, guys. Like, I, I, I've only... I didn't really care about Virginia Tech growing up. I mean, I heard about them, sure. But, you know, I, I was Michigan State football. That's what I was. So going from that to here, I definitely noticed some similarities in the programs. You know, very uh, integrated programs with their communities. Like East Lansing, Michigan is all Michigan State. Blacksburg, Virginia is all Virginia Tech. So on that similarity, I think I may have made a mistake. And when it comes to my expectations for this football program, I don't think that they're too hot. I really don't. Uh, so when my words come off as disappointment, I, I think that I see a lot of people that are in the same vein as me. And then there's some backlash towards those people who 
you know, some people may accuse them of having too high of expectations. So I had this conversation with these people and I came to the table saying, hey, look, I think Virginia Tech's a top 20 job. And they called me out on that. And they said, no, it's not. Like, it, it really isn't. Now, as a brand, I think it's up there. I really do think it's a top 25 brand of college football in the country. But as a job, I mean, there's so many other factors than just branding. It's, you know, access to resources. It's donor base. It's, it's your history. And Virginia Tech just doesn't have that. So even if I was to compare it to, say, Michigan State, yeah, they're comparable. Neither of them are like top 10 jobs. You know, we're not talking this as Alabama's or, you know, Texas or something like that. But looking at Michigan State, compare that to Virginia Tech. Michigan State has been in the Big Ten since the 50s. Virginia Tech has been in the ACC since 2004. And even before that, the Big East, they weren't in a conference when Beaver took over. It took them, I think, two years as an independent. So Virginia Tech didn't really have a home for a while. And now they kind of put themselves into the power five school, you know, area. But Michigan State has national championships. Virginia Tech doesn't. So I just don't know. I, I look at the teams that Beamer was able to put together here. And I really think my expectation is just get back to that. I don't know if that's, I don't think that that's too high of an expectation. Just get back to that. And now look, does that mean doing what Beamer did and going on this insane stretch of winning double digit games every year? Honestly, I think it's doable again. He showed that it's possible. And look, it's a different game of college football. But again, I, I, I don't use that as an excuse because if everyone else can do it, why can't we? Um, I don't know. I, I, I just had to take a step back from where I guess I thought the program really was and take a real, more realistic look at it. Here's where I think I come to. And I, I honestly think this is me. It, it's not even me as a Virginia Tech fan. I think it's me as just a fan of college football. And this could be, I think this could honestly be assigned to most programs out there. Now, like, places like Kansas that don't take football as seriously as other schools, even though they, even though they try to, I don't, I don't mean to take a dig there, but like, it's easy to, <laughs> I, I get what you mean. Uh, like here, like here's the thing. I think for any school that's kind of in that, like not elite to doesn't care about football range. And there's probably like a hundred schools in there. I think a realistic aspiration for your football program would be contend to win your conference most years. And with Virginia tech, I don't think it's too hard an expectation to, say, hey, every year you should have, I don't know, eight or nine wins built in. And, you know, I, I really do think that if your staff handles recruiting well and player development well and can cement themselves in a certain spot above the average programs in your conference, you should be winning eight, nine games every year and you should be competing for the right to go to Charlotte every year. Now, look, this year, that's definitely still on the table because we've all talked about it. You know, none of these games since North Carolina have affected conference play, mm -hmm. but as an overall trend, I think uh, at least this staff and, de and definitely going back to the, to the to the late Beamer years where you didn't win nine games once, you know, that that's kind of just a trend of like, okay, there's been one year that where that's been a possibility. And that was just one day's first year. Now. Yes they did have the opportunity to uh, go to Charlotte and Fuente's fourth year when they lost to UVA, that just, it just didn't happen. They lost. So, you know, in that time frame, you're looking at a program that has kind of just gone back to the middle of college football from, from when, when they really were 
a top 15 program in the country, top 10? I mean, how many teams can say that they win double-digit games so regularly like that? So for so many years in a row, it doesn't happen at many places. So when you see that being done here, I don't think that that's a standard that should be too hard to get back to, really. Uh, I don't know. I just, I, it just kind of humbled me a little bit because I, I really do think I may have oversold how good of a place this really is to win. And let me, and obviously it's still an awesome place to be, but in terms of, you know, just football, uh, I, th- I still think it's a good brand. I still think there's plenty of opportunity here. And I don't think my expectations change. I think I just have a better understanding of why more people aren't on my side where they aren't more demanding because I, I really do think that they, they treated Frank, Frank Beamer like a gift from God because what's Virginia Tech football without Frank Beamer? It's nothing. It doesn't have a national championship appearance. It doesn't have all those 10 and 11 win seasons. It's just a place. It's really just a place. It's not a strong football school. Without him, they don't leave the Big East. And without the Big East, they're probably an American school. And I mean, yeah, maybe they go to the ACC anyways, but what would they be without Frank Beamer? Wake Forest? That's not good. So, uh, well, it's good having right a good year. Not really for not really for us right now, but wait for us, you know, most years. Yeah, traditionally, yeah, I get what you mean. Um, yeah, so I think I just had to take a step back. Where where are you? Where are you on that like whole debate? Um, well, first of all, you grew up watching Kansas athletics. Uh, are you in the same boat as me? Where you just hopped on the tech bandwagon three years ago when you came to school? Uh, yeah, I mean, I had some friends around me, but I mean, ironically, if anything, though, I supported tech more. I don't know why. Uh, technically speaking, I should have even leaned more towards the UVA side, which, you know, now is kind of, you know, ugh, say, but it, 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 yeah, exactly. But um, I actually had my aunt to go to UVA and I'm pretty sure I actually, I think one of my siblings even went to UVA as well. So they're not siblings, cousins. But, I would say you think. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't have any siblings. I'm the only child, but I, I digress. So I've had family go to UVA and I, I have people around me that went to UVA, but I only had like my best friend in elementary school who went to tech. And I think I just kind of resonated with the Hokie bird. And though I didn't really, you know, cheer for tech off and I was just kind of like, yeah, I like Hokie bird more than the Cavaliers. So that's that. I think that's mostly why I went with tech. It's kind of a funny reason, but, um, no, I, I mean, I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I, I, I think that is like, Maybe not top 20, but I feel like that this is a top end program, particularly now. Like now I'd probably even be a little bit more leaning towards you because if you look at the campus and everything as like a whole, uh, I mean, overall great campus, solid location. Um, and then you have like the whole like sports program building around it. We talked like a couple months ago um, about how good, like as a whole, when um, our AD got resigned, like as a whole, like how good are like our sports programs have become. Um I cover Virginia Tech soccer here on, uh, for 3304, and it's something where we're, we're at a point there where uh, I, I talk with the SIDs pretty frequently, particularly when I uh, go down and ask the players and coaches questions. But it, you kind of have a feeling that, like, those teams are in a very special place. They're teams that, like, particularly the women's team feels like it could be a Cinderella story. Like, that's, like, I've, I've talked about that with the SIDs. Like, that's how good the team feels. Uh, the men's team has been a very dominant team in soccer for a while. And both our soccer, uh, actually, our men's team's really overtaken the UVA team, particularly for this year. But our women's team's just kind of getting around there. 
And if you guys haven't seen the any of the ratings, I don't know if anyone who listens to your follows college soccer, but um, the ACC is doing, I mean, they, they do well in both soccers, but like the Virginia Tech's the only other ACC school that's not ranked inside the top, uh, a, a one of five that are ranked inside the top 25 with the other four being ranked inside the top five. And we drew two of them in the same week, three days apart. So that's special. You have our women's basketball program that looks really good and we're able to get into the March Madness tournament last year. You have our men's team who, you know, uh, most people definitely watch the men's team and they kind of know what's been going on there. And specifically with Mike Young and everything as we let off with Rodney Rice, very special. So not necessarily the football program itself, as I kind of rambled a lot with some of that stuff, but uh, a lot of like the sports at Virginia Tech, like sports clubs are becoming more popular and getting more closer to that point of where they could actually compete for a national championship. One of the, you know, two power five schools and not have it. And I root for both. Awesome. Um, <laughs> you poor man. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. But um, yeah, but, no, just, but like just focusing on the football side of it, it's, well, I feel like some of that helps bring in attraction, which is kind of why I'm closing in on your, on your argument. Like I, I, I'm around, I think we're around like a top 20, 25 pro like program to be able to hop into, but you know, as, as you said, we're both kind of quote unquote outsiders. We're not people that grew up on Virginia tech. So we don't really know historically other than like looking at stats, really what this team was at other than the Frank Buehner era. Right. And, but, but also that, that raises an interesting point to me of for the people that did, and I'm not saying we have like, I'm not saying any of our listeners here are like hundred years old and know what it was back in the Southern conference days. But like, if you see what Frank Beamer can bring to this program and what he can build now, if you think it's an exclusively Frank Beamer touch thing, well, and I got nothing for you, but if you see what he built here and you see where it's gone since then, and that includes him in his last four years, you know, I don't know how you can simply say and throw it, throw it aside and say, oh, well, it's, you know, it's just kind of an outlier. I really think that's the peak. And I think you can get back there. I don't, I don't think it's a, I, I don't think it's a mountain where you can't get back up. I think it's, and you just go up and you reach your peak and you go back down and then you stay down in the valley. I, th- I think you can get, I think you can get back up to those days. Um, and, and this is nothing against Fuente or Corn for what I'm going to say here or, or, or even Jayham as well. But I feel like, though, I, I, I think we can kind of both agree that this is a decent program. I feel like this is something where if we wanted to get back to those days, we would need another one of those special moments, like what we have with Ben's basketball and Mike Young. And that's just so few and far to come, uh, come by. And it's, you know, a very high standard to say, oh, we need a Mike Young in college football. And as I said, it's nothing against Foo or Corn or Jayham, but though it's a high mark to me, I kind of feel like it's true because you know no i agree with you it's, it's not it's not a factory like, the, like well when i say and I, when i say it's a it's not a factory i don't mean an nfl factory because virginia tech produces nfl players you know year in year out uh most drafts but um no it, it's not a program where you can just automatically plug in some guy and they're going to have all the resources it's not usc you know it's not yeah. and but even still usc and texas they need the right guy and yep. uh Again, it's nothing personal against Justin Fuente or anything like that. But, yeah. you know, maybe, honestly, maybe he, like, if this just doesn't work out, say that, just hypothetically speak, hmm? say this is Justin Fuente's last year or next year's his last year. 
Mm-hmm. Justin Fuente is not going to be jobless. He's going to go find a job somewhere else, you know, whether it's a no, Power Five school or Triple yeah. Five school. What if he goes to the Sun Belt and, or the Conference USA or something and goes to a school in the Texas area, which, or in like that Oklahoma area, you know, an area that he's more familiar with than Virginia? What, he might have more success there. That just might not be a yep. better fit. Uh, I, I, regional relevancy matters in college athletics. So, having that person that can connect to that community and connect to that program is really important. Now, if you're Nick Saban, you can just hop all over the place and find success anywhere except the NFL. Uh, yeah. But I mean, Dustin Fuentes not Nick Saban. No one's Nick Saban. That's just that's no. just a fact. So. Nick, yeah. Nick Saban and Coach K are their own, you know. They're, they're, they're their own monsters. That's, that's they're, really They're their own special tier. Yeah. All right. So I, I think that was just an interesting conversation I had with some people yeah. over the weekend. Uh, really highlight where I am uh, with the program. And, and it made me understand more where other people were as well. I don't think my expectations changed too much. I don't think my feelings changed too much. But I think just knowing history and knowing other people's feelings is important when talking about this kind of stuff. So. We can move on to the next topic. And before we get into college football, I did want to bring this up. And this does bring up Justin Fuente a little bit in a darker light. Uh, and again, this is nothing personal I have. This is just stuff that's coming out. A couple of f- former players have con- have gone out. And this, is, this isn't new. It's just that it's happened a little bit recently, back-to-back. Uh, his former quarterback for Virginia Tech, Gerard Evans. And just, I think, today is when it came out. Uh, yeah. Mook Reynolds. Who, I, who was on team when I wasn't a fan. So I, I don't know too much about him. And I mean, Gerard Evans wasn't the quarterback when I was a fan as well. Uh, but Gerard Evans was Justin Fuente's first guy. He was transferred in, uh, broke a bunch of school records that he still holds uh, for offense in, in their first year, won the Coastal, gave Clemson a fight in the championship game. And Mook Reynolds was a former defensive back who was dismissed from the team back in 2018. So before I came here, so I don't know the full story there. But they both went on. Uh, separate episodes of Don V Fridays. Now, Don V, for those who aren't aware, uh, if you listen to this, you're probably aware of who he is. But uh, he's an independent uh, podcaster. He's a fan of Virginia Tech. Talks tech football weekly on his sh- on his podcast. I think he does a good job, uh, really bringing that fan perspective. Him and Drift do a really good job producing a good show. Uh, I'm a fan. It's basically what I'm saying. But they both came on, and now Don V is you know, vocal in his disapproval of where the program is specifically with the head coach. So he, he brought them both on and I thought that they both had some interesting things to say regarding Fuente specifically, as well as uh, the direction of the program, as well as the guy he, that Justin Fuente is. John Evans specifically said that when he was getting recruited, when he, he was getting recruited by Justin Fuente back at Memphis. Uh, but they basically didn't extend him an offer towards Memphis or didn't make him feel welcome at his time in Memphis. But then when he came to Virginia Tech, the offense that he saw Fuente running at Memphis with guys like Paxton Lynch, that wasn't the offense that he was seeing run at Virginia Tech with him and Cornelson. And again, Cornelson's been Fuente's guy the whole time. Yeah, he was with him in Memphis, brought him over here to Tech. So seeing... Uh, you know, just hearing that was interesting. The Mook Reynolds thing is a completely different scenario, but all, but also Drott Evans did bring up something similar. Mook Reynolds was bringing up how his troubles were going to get, which got him suspended off the team. You know, he, he brought his side to the story, basically. He brought his side to the story out into the public, uh, saying that, now, I, I, again, I don't know the full story here, but what I'm gathering from what Mook Reynolds is saying is that 
he was dismissed because of legal trouble. But he was saying that all of his charges got dropped. You know, he did nothing illegal. If anything, the people that made it look worse than it did, uh, that actually looked worse than it actually was, were the police departments. And, you know, I, I've heard horror stories of how much more strict Virginia police are than anywhere else in the country. So, I mean, I understand it. I, I definitely don't deny him his side of the story. I don't think he's lying or anything like that. What, what opened my eyes most is that Mook Reynolds said that he had hip problems and the medical staff basically said that, oh, no, you don't. And basically he ended up playing and he was playing with like a really, really messed up hip, which is not a good look. Now, I don't know if that falls on staff uh, coaching wise, but it definitely falls bad on the university because this is a medical staff that they're hired to give these athletes treatment. And this was back before NIL. So it's not like he's getting financially compensated for this. He's risking his body for basically nothing. And they're telling him that any concerns he has, they're just dismissing it. And then he went to a specialist and said, oh yeah, you have a really messed up way. We have to do surgery and clean your hip up. So that, that was a little disappointing. But then both uh, Evans and Reynolds mentioned Fuente's character. Now, Evans was talking about how before the ACC championship game, Fuente and staff wanted them to treat it as a business trip. Whereas Clemson and Dabo Sweeney, they were treating it more, they were, they, they were having fun. They could see them having fun over on the sidelines, whereas Tech came in all business, straight faces, you know, no nonsense. And John Evans portrayed that as a negative. Now, I don't know how I feel about that personally. Uh, if you're, look, at the end of the day, it's a game. I, th I think we all understand that. And when you want to take things serious, I don't have an opposition to that. But when players want to have fun, let a little loose, and you say no to that, I think that can get your players to turn away from you. And I like what Mook Reynolds said, actually, in the most recent episode, which was that players don't really ever play for the coaches. They play for their teammates. So it doesn't really matter who the staff is. The staff is just there to you know, pump you up for the game. But at the end of the day, they're playing for the guy next, next to them. They're playing with, for the guy that they're going to war with. Um, so if you take away what they want to do, which is maybe have fun with the guys and then go out and play a good football game and play their game and win together, you know, that can put a negative vibe in the locker room. And, you know, Evans and Mook Reynolds were both talking about how Fuente basically has never reached out to them. Uh, they don't feel like they've gotten the respect they deserve from the program, from the coaching staff. I thought it was just interesting. Now, I don't think two players, and there are more players out there that have, you know, obviously transferred away from the program that may have their problems with the staff. I don't know if this is a damning indictment on Justin Fuente's character as his ability as a coach, as his ability to lead this program. Because I, I do still, the, there are players that come out in support of him. And, you know, we see videos of, uh, I think it was like Justin Fuente's birthday some months ago, and his players threw him on a hot tub or something. Like, they, they looked like those yeah. guys, you know, were, were happy with him as their head coach. It looked like they were having fun. It didn't look like there was any disdain for him. But just hearing this, these stories and hearing these sides of the stories from former players they just had a bad relationship with the program, with the coach. I think it was a little eye-opening for me. What, what are your thoughts on all this? Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've been able to see it. We've actually even, you know, talked about it a little bit in a sense with some players who even left even last year. Um, I don't know. It seems like it's almost a mixed bag in a sense because, as, as you mentioned, we, we were able to see it this offseason. It seems like the team was kind of, you know, around uh, coach and – it seems like it was a pretty good locker room aspect, but then you go and you look on the other hand, you have uh, these guys coming out and 
kind of spreading the negative side of it. Uh, not that that's a bad thing. I'm just saying the fact that, you know, they, they had their own negative experience with it. And I think that's something you can't really, as you said, you can't really take it away. So it's, it's something that I feel like it almost makes some text fans fear of what's been happening during this pro, uh, uh, with our program under Fuente kind of a reality in, in a sense um like it almost like confirms that for them but then it also just it sends mixed signals it makes things confusing maybe things are past that with Fuente and maybe that's why the team likes him I, I don't know much um I guess the hip thing combined with the hooker issue from last year is pretty concerning. Uh, the fact that that's now multiple players that I can speak of that there was one thing that was said and then another thing happened and it messed up completely messed up the career for one. And then for the other, uh, they're doing all right this year. I don't know. It's, it's concerning, but I mean, it's kind of hard. It almost feels like, you know, you should speculate. In a sense, if you if you get what I mean. No, I do. Uh, and and look, I, I just want to bring this to the table because it's some news. You know, it's a bye week. Yeah. You're looking you're looking for stuff to grab at. You're looking for stuff to talk about. Uh, because I mean, how, how many more times can I say that I don't like the offense? But um, <laughs> yeah. but 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 I mean, it's just it's just another layer to the conversation, I think. And. Yeah. You know, that insight, I, I enjoy player insight. I really do. And that's why I like stuff like this. I, I like players coming out and speaking their mind. And, and former players, too. It really shines a light on programs. Because programs, college football programs especially, can be really, uh, really locked up and very secretive. So getting some insider information is always good. I just want to touch on one more thing, too, about just Fuente, too. Yeah, I think well. this was a nice read from Andy Bitter of The Athletic. Now, Andy Bitter is right. now an employed uh, I think he's technically a professor. Yeah, at Tech, he's employed at Tech. Big so he did. So he didn't have to write. He didn't have to write. He doesn't have to write anything negative. And now this is for his job at the Athletic. Now I don't know how the school wants to go about, you know, trying to censor him for his views on Virginia Tech football when he's writing for the Athletic. But if he says anything, but like if he says anything negative about it, he is employed by the school. So he came out and main article and this was covering all of virginia uh talking about virginia tech you know uva i think he brought up old dominion and liberty as well i think james madison may have come up in the article as well i really only read the virginia tech stuff but uh he was talking he, he brought up he brought in seven coaches in the high school uh, seven high school coaches from the state of virginia uh different regions you had a guy from richmond a couple guys from the 757 uh, a nova guy another Nova guy, a Southwest Virginia guy, and a Central Virginia guy. And so the first couple of questions were about Virginia Tech. And I found this very interesting because the fourth coach, coach number four, was the coach in Southwest, in Southwest Virginia. So basically, Virginia Tech's backyard, basically this area where we're talking right now is where coach number four is from. And coach number four had some pretty bad things to say about Justin Fuente when it comes to him recruiting this area. And, I, and some other Virginia coaches we're talking about how tech has been leaving this behind. Now I'm not a big recruiting guy, you know, but I still think it's fascinating. And, you know, he, Andy Bitter asked these guys about the Texas to VT movement as an outside observer. 
I can simply say for recruiting, if you can get the better players in, you know, if you, if you can get the better players in, I don't really care where they come from. But I do think at a place like Tech, and we were just talking about it when it comes to their relevance, having a local footprint is important. It's important for the culture. It's important for the fan base. And especially, I think it's important for the players because they get to play for a school that they may have very well grown up rooting for. Uh, and they get to play together with their brothers if you bring those guys in as well, etc. So just seeing coaches come out against, for the most part, Virginia Tech's recruiting strategies since Justin Fuente's taken over, I think that's just another interesting part to add to the discussion as well. Now, again, recruiting to me, again, I'm not a big recruiting guy. I can mention that recruiting classes have not been where Tech probably wants them to be since Fuente has gotten here. Uh, Although they have a nice class coming in next year. We'll see how signing day ends up coming out. But just reading that and seeing what high school coaches are telling their players and what Virginia Tech is sending out to high schools to try and gauge talent in these areas, in their, in their own state, a state that they want to run, you know, every year, beat Virginia, win the Commonwealth Cup, be the dominant program here. The lack of attention being paid here, it's just interesting, I think. And in the attitude of high school coaches towards Virginia Tech now, I don't know, again, I don't know this area at all. I really could just be quoting Andy Bitter and putting this all on him. But on surface level, could it not be at least a little bit concerning if high school coaches are viewing this as a program that they might not want to send their kids to? Uh, yeah, no, it certainly could be, particularly with how big, um, you know, we should be kind of in our state. You know, it's really between us and uh, UVA and then really kind of an outside shot towards, I would say, probably JMU, ODU. Um, when, when you're having people, particularly in our area, saying that, it's very negative, particularly when you see, like, a lot of people in this, like, Southern Virginia, Southwest Virginia area going towards, like, the North Carolinas. You'll see a lot of Virginia residents go towards Penn State um, and et cetera. I, I do think it's an issue because um, I think that no matter what, even if you do want to set up something like the VT to Texas, as I think was kind of our goal and what we wanted to have set up um, with during this tenure, uh, no matter what, you do have to focus in state because in state's one of the most important things um, for, I think, any college program, if I'm going to be honest, um, unless you're a bad college program like Kansas and, you know, then you kind of have to get what you get. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I, I, I agree. I think it's a bit concerning. I just like the angle that Andy Bitter was able to present this from. So I think it's a good yeah. read. Uh, definitely do subscribe to The Athletic. I think they do great work. Don't be scared of the price tag. Uh, yeah, that's, that's really all I can say. Uh, although I, I did not mean to renew my subscription. So when I saw $60 leave my checking account, I like my, my life froze. But other than that, you know, uh, I'm, I'm happy with, with it. And I def- definitely get it. And definitely subscribe to Andy Bitter. All right. So that, that's, I think that's going to be all the bi-week discussion we're going to do regarding the program. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was just a nice couple topics to talk about tech before we get into college football weekend as large. So uh, I'm going to hand it over to you as we get to our question segment. 
All right. Well, there's a good bit for the question segment. A lot has happened, particularly this weekend. But then there's also really been a lot that's happened over the past couple weekends, including uh, I don't remember exactly the number from last weekend, but I know this weekend we had nine teams that were either still are or previously ranked inside the top 25 that lost this week. Now, half of those were to one another, but the other half weren't. And some of those teams fell out and off. And even one team fell out that didn't even lose, and that was Clemson. But uh, with that even kind of beyond the case, really a lot of my question is here, as we've talked a lot about this, these non-Power 5 conferences creeping in. Uh, what, what do we really make of these last two weekends? And really more in particular, is this a sign of college football changing like as a whole? Well, that's an interesting way to end the question, because when you say changing as a whole, do you mean like changing of the guard? Like who our best teams are going to be? I, I'm saying really more of a changing of the culture, kind of like in a sense of if you look at college basketball, things are becoming a lot more even now. Well, the transfer uh, portal has to be the main culprit of this. It has to be. Oh, because sure. Now you're seeing teams. And again, you know, I, I think the easier thing is to just simply say, oh, uh, the Clemsons and the Ohio States of the year or and Oklahoma's are having comparatively down years to what they had in the past because of the transfer portal, because, you know, their players always leave for the NFL and they weren't able to bring in new talent. Whereas everyone else has COVID people that are on for their seventh year or whatever. I, I don't know how much of that is true exactly, but the transfer portal has to be the main culprit. I mean, you're having guys going to other power five schools, group of five schools that make them better, more competitive. And, and it's just the nature of the thing. Now, at the end of the day, look who's favored to win the national championship. It's Alabama and Georgia again. And, you know, Oklahoma might make the playoff. Uh, you know, Penn State, Ohio State are still up there in the running for it. Iowa, I was having one of those years where they just pop their heads out and can emerge and say, hey, we can actually win more than nine games for once. Um, so it's still the same teams. But in terms of the competitiveness, yes, it's a little bit more parity. I don't know if it's going to go full on 2007. I know everyone likes to say that they feel the vibes from 2007, but I don't think they can go that crazy yet. Uh, so, so we'll see how this season shakes out. But I'm, I don't know if this is going to be a norm. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of generally agree with you, but I do think that it makes it maybe less like as like a whole, like looking outside Power 5, but maybe more it looks like there could be a Power 5 struggle going into the future. Um, I mean, Arkansas has been pretty impressive. Um, a team that we'll get to talk about. Um, Ole Miss has been pretty impressive. Like, you know, like, I feel like there's a lot more impressive SEC schools um, may, that, than I feel like I really could say. Like, my, my point with that is I feel like Alabama's just kind of cruised through the SEC, and I feel like rather than having Alabama in one school, whether that be LSU or Georgia, I feel like you have Alabama in Georgia as, like, they're the two best schools, don't get me wrong, but it feels like the other schools are very competitive and they feel like they can keep it close, if, if you get what I mean. But, like, that, that's what I mean, like, for the SEC, for the ACC, it's a mess. So, you know, it's it, it's kind of changing, not as in the fact that it's a good change, but the fact that it is changing. Uh, Big 12 has been a little bit crazy. Um, and obviously, you're going to have Texas and OU moving. So that's going to be a little bit wild. Um, I mean, when the inevitable happens and we get the Super League, th then it's just changed forever. Oh, no, for sure. But, um. Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of how I view it. Not not that it's anything like wild wild, but I feel like it's signs of something. Sure. Basically. Um 
The, the, the next one actually following that to go into a team that I hadn't even mentioned there uh, in the Big Ten is Iowa, uh, putting up a very strong uh, appearance against Maryland uh, in Maryland. And really what I want to ask you here is, are you more convinced in Iowa after that Friday night matchup? Well, here's my problem. Here's my only problem with Iowa. Again, it's, it's the offense. Now, their running attack still does not convince me, and their passing, and their passing attack, Petrus is doing better. They're not asking him to do a lot. He's not a special quarterback, but he's doing enough. The, problem, the good thing for them is that the, that defense is special. Uh, I think that they can live off of those turnovers, and that's just kind of something that defenses like that can sustain. You know, most times you can't sustain that, but this is, looks like one of those years where this is a defense that can do that. You know, this is a defense that's probably going to end up being up there at the end of the year. We're going to hear the comparisons to, you know, Georgia and, you know, Alabama looked really, really impressive against Old Miss's offense. Um, so this is one of the top five defenses in the country, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's national championship level. Now, in terms of the athletes to compete with guys like Georgia and Alabama, we don't know about that. I mean, it is Maryland, even though I think they're a well-run program. They're, they don't have the athletes that Alabama and Georgia do. Uh, I'll say yes. And here, here's the thing. That defense is really fortunate for them because I don't think Sean Clifford's a special quarterback. I know that I probably still lean Penn State, yeah. and the fact that that's another whiteout game uh, at home Oh, no, it's in Iowa? Oh, never mind. I was winning by five. <laughs> I mean, come on. They're going to turn. They're going to force him to turn the ball over. They're going to force Sean Clifford to make mistakes. He's thrown picks in three straight games now. I, look, I was got, I, I was got the most legit shot out of anyone in the Big Ten, not named Ohio State, because Ohio State looks like they may have rebounded now, and that's scary. But uh, I don't think that they meet up for the rest of the season. No, Iowa and Ohio State don't meet each other. So Iowa has a pretty clean run. Uh, through the rest of their games outside of Penn State, because the Big Ten West, as always, is a mess. I mean, there's really not much for me to say here. This is actually mostly kind of a you question, because I've been big on Iowa the whole time. So, I mean, I'm staying with my Hawkeyes. I'm even leading a very chalk. I'm taking them over Penn State. Uh, I've been on that train the whole time. Sure, it's going to be a spoiler for the pick segment, but I talked about it last week. So, I don't think it's that much of a spoiler. Um Okay. Yeah, they can't. I, I, Has game day announced if they're going there yet? Because they should, right? Uh, I actually have no clue. I mean, they they have to be there. Yeah. I mean, it's a top four like, matchup. I mean, I would love to see them go to Cincinnati at some point today, but like they, they're never gonna. I mean, they'll need to pick their uh, games for it. No way. They, I mean, shout out Barstool. They're gonna be coming here this weekend. They're gonna be coming here. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, wait. Hang on, hang on. They're saying where are they going? You're joking me. They're going to Dallas for the OU Texas game. That's absurd. <laughs> this is Midwest erasure. What is this? I'm actually mad now. That's that's, that's not too surprising. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I, I it's like grant granted the game day. Those are two schools that have been huge in the news this year. Um, not only because of uh, football struggle for Texas and OU, but then also the fact that they're both going to the SEC. It makes sense. I mean. Not that they should be, but I get it. I can't believe this. They're, ne- they're never going well, to Iowa then. Just... They're never going to Iowa because know. they don't play anyone good outside after this game. Yeah, yeah, I don't think so. But hopefully to distract you from this pain, I can actually give you a decent uh, thing here moving on from that question. Uh, you know, a very happy point for both of us. Cincinnati. Hell yeah. They did it. 
they beat Notre Dame. Is this Cincinnati's year? Are you finally going to commit with me? Are you going to say that Cincinnati's going to make that the college football playoff? Well, hey, I, I mean, I said I, I, I've been saying yes. I just said that there need to be set criteria that happens, and those set criteria are happening now. Look, Alabama and Georgia, mortal locks. Like they're going to win out the rest of their games. They're going to meet up in the yeah. championship game. One of them is going to lose. Really Both of them are going to be in. One's the one seed. One's the three seed. Cincinnati needs to keep it up. And God, I hope they do. But they went out. Yes, they're in now. So, so that gives you three teams right there. And then when you're looking at the last spot, you're looking at the SEC, a group of five school. You have four Power Five conferences going for that. Big Ten, ACC, Big Twelve, Pac twelve. Big Twelve and Pac twelve, I think, are out. I think Oklahoma does not look impressive at all. Uh, Oregon had a loss. That's not good the for ACC. them. Uh, ACC, terrible. That was, that was, that was given. ACC. Yeah, right. So you know, it, it comes down to the Big Ten being that last. Uh, school, whether it be Iowa, Penn State, you know, the winner of that game obviously is in the driver's seat for the college football playoff. Uh, and then, you know, Ohio State's there as well. I'm not going to ignore them. If they run the table and they win the Big Ten Championship, they are, they have a loss to an Oregon team. I think they get in at the fourth spot because that means they'll have to likely beat Penn State and Iowa, and that's convincing enough for me. Uh, that means that, they'll, that their offensive woes have been fixed, their defense has been fixed. I think Cincinnati – is in perfect position. This is exactly what they needed. And they, they just can't screw up. They can't trip over themselves. If they trip over themselves yeah. once, they're dead. Yeah. No, I mean, I completely agree. I've been on the Bearcat train all year. Uh, and yeah, I mean, really, I would say the scariest matchups they have left is like UCF, um, SMU. SMU's actually been pretty decent this year. Um, but then really beyond that, the only other one I would note, though, it's not a team that has an impressive record. It's Tulane. And that's because Tulane was able to compete with Oklahoma and they're able to semi-compete with Ole Miss. So that means that they have the talent. It's just a question of can they put it together in a big game? Where's that um, game? Is that on the road? Oh, uh, yeah, it's on the road. Ooh, OK. That, yeah, that's definitely a test then. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that the, those are three pretty decent games. But seeing Cincinnati and seeing how impressive they've been, they should be easy games for them, generally speaking. As you said, like uh, those are the games that I would say for any Bearcats fans that would listen to this, or if anyone wanted to pick this up, you know, I would say that those are the three games that the Bearcats fans have to watch out for and hope and pray. Beyond that, it's not that those games should be struggles. It should be pretty relatively easy games. So, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good about the Bearcats' chances, which feels nice that I've been on this since week one. So, yeah, big smile for me, but big smile for both of us because Cincinnati is actually able to do it. And we, we've both big, been uh, big on Cincinnati the whole time. Yes. Uh, speaking of one of those really bad conferences, uh, or, you know, mediocre, one of the Power Five conferences that's probably not going to be making college football playoffs, Big 12. Um, we talked about it, though it actually wasn't in our pick segment, which when I thought back about it, I'm like, wow, that's actually surprising. You definitely trapped me on that. But um, it was Kansas State versus Oklahoma, the fourth game out of five in Manhattan. And Kansas State was disappointing for a bit, but they're starting to have a comeback in the fourth quarter. And to give you a full timeline of this and for our listeners, um, because I've talked about this with Dan after kind of figuring it out, Kansas State, towards the end of the game, after the last touchdown of the game was they're returning a kickoff, pretty cool. Um, but then they had an onside kick. And the onside kick, um, if, if you want to look it up, I actually want to see where I sent it to you from. If, if you guys haven't seen it, uh, you can go on to YouTube. Let me mute my phone here so I can tell you the channel. You can go on to uh, the PowerCat Game Day 
on YouTube and they have it in the first minute of the clip. And you can judge for yourself. But the onside kick was pretty well taken and was recovered at like that 50-yard line by Kansas State. So the onside kick was recovered. Then it was reviewed just to make sure, and then it was upheld. But then the third step in this process is that Lincoln Riley challenges the review. He calls BS. So he, he challenges it. The refs go back, and apparently they find something in the review of the review that's bad. And they're like, oh, well, that's bad enough. We got to overturn it. And then OU gets it um, because they're saying that the kicker kicked the ball twice. Um, that's really the thing that you have to look out for. And then, of course, you know, OU wins the game by six points, 37 to 31 in Manhattan, not giving the Wildcats the chance that the actual review originally gave them to win the game. Now, you can kind of tell where I'm going to lean on this, and you're going to kind of be able to tell how annoyed I am by it. But what's your reaction overall after hearing all of that, maybe watching it, and with overall any understanding that, you know, we, we may have on the rules. Sorry, I was muted there. All right. Okay. Uh, these damn Zoom calls. Okay. <laughs> so here's the thing. I, I could not watch this game on Saturday. I was disposed. But this happened not at the end of the game, correct? Like, it was pretty, like, there was... When, when did this happen? This, okay, so there's four minutes left in the game, and you did the onside kick. Yeah. Well, obviously, the fact that they allowed Lincoln Riley to challenge in the first place is malpractice. Now, your defense did its job enough to the point of, you know, holding them to a field goal on their offensive possession and then coming back with that kick return touchdown. I'm going to guess they went for the onside kick again. Yeah. And you were, and it's not like they weren't rolling. I mean, I'm looking at this right now. You had a touchdown. I mean, you had three possessions up to the line. You had a punt, a touchdown, and a turnover on downs. Here's the thing. With me, yes, that's a big miss by the officials. And you should be frustrated with it. I think it just comes down to, for me, I don't really like to put it all on officiating. Because I'm looking at this right now. One, two, three. Uh, on the first uh, three of the first four uh, possessions, you gave up a touchdown uh, for the second quarter. Now you got to pick. You got an interception on their third uh, drive in the second half. But giving up those three touchdowns, your offense needs to be able to answer that. So mm -hmm. I think that comes down to defense defensive letdown. Now uh, that kick came at a point when you were down 10 so it's a good time to do it basically the crux of my reasoning is yes you can be mad at the officials but at the end of the day you want your team to not have to put you in that situation in the first place i know it might be a little easy but if you get the onside kick and they don't turn it over by some ridiculous reasoning do do you still like are you 100 percent certain you win that game I don't know if I'm 100% certain. It's definitely more likely, but I don't know. I think, I think you, you, throughout the entire crux of a game, I think it's very rare that games are 100% determined by just one referee decision, even if it's, I, a, even if, even yeah. if it's an abhorrent one like that. Uh, I would just simply say that 
K-State probably just had to play better defense that day. I agree that you can't put a, the whole factor of a game, generally speaking, on officiating. However, this is a point that you kind of brought up. Sure, we were down 10 by that point, but, you know, I would – I, I, I would not know. I would say presumably we would have had all the outs by that point. But on top of that, the two things, that uh, the thing that you pointed out, which is horrible to me, is the fact that you shouldn't be able, I'm pretty sure you're not able to do this. You are not able to review a review. Like, no, yeah, you can't, you can't challenge a review. Like they, that's basically like if I was a student challenging the teacher who's reading out of a textbook. In sure. a sense. Like it's bad on the it's definitely bad on the officiating crew for not catching that. Yeah, you're not gonna see me during a lecture saying, Yeah, hey professor, this book that you wrote, it, it's wrong. Like you're wrong. You're not gonna see any me or anyone do that. Um in, you know, actually in most cases, but I digress. So you, you're not really gonna see that. But then on top of that, when I actually go back and I watch that multiple times, because I'd want to see if I could see a second kick. I cannot see it. There is no, like, as, like, the NFL has had, and as NCAA has, like, they have these things of, like, there's no, like, concrete evidence to really overturn the call. There is nothing, nothing that I see in that onside kick that overturns it for me. Nothing at all. He was running to the side of the ball. You can't really see the ball bounce off his foot. The ball bounces off the turf. Like, you, you cannot clearly see in that video replay, if it bounced off his foot. So you can't go back after reviewing and seeing that yourself, that you're like, oh, no, shoot, we missed something. Yeah, no, it definitely bounced off his foot. We're going to overturn it. No shot. Like, I, I could watch that back 10 times, and I will never see a moment where I see it bounce off his foot. I watched it back like five times in a row just to make sure. There's nothing that I could see. Yeah, I just looked so, at it, and I... Oh, I, I can't see that either. It just looked like a really nice, really nice execution. You know, great job by the kicker too. Uh, I yeah. love those, I love those kind of onside kicks where it's the kicker gets it himself because it, it's catching the mm -hmm. defensive special teams off guards. Um, I, I remember it was a couple of years ago, uh, Adam Vinatieri pulled something off like that for the Colts, and it just oh, yeah. looked it, it looked really nice. It looked really smooth. I remember it was, it was I think it was like a Thursday night football game against the Texans. Pretty sure McAfee uh, did it too. Yeah, it was. It was really well executed. So, you know, the plan is there. The plan is good. Uh, yeah, just bad call on the official part. That, that, it, yeah. the, game, the game doesn't come down to that, but, yes, it, it was bad. It, it makes it really irritating because if Kansas State gets that ball at the midfield with the momentum starting to swing in their favor, particularly off an onside kick like that, and then they go and score and they're down by three points, they're down by three points, I would assume, with all, if not most of their timeouts, with about you know let's say three minutes left that's a winnable game definitely or, or game. that's in overtime yeah, exactly and you know we're not given the chance to really do that because of the fact that the refs overturned it then you had the field goal which made it uh, another you know which continued to increase their lead rather than 10 point lead it was a 13 point lead and then we got the lucky return touchdown but then beyond that there really wasn't much that we could do it's right. it's very annoying and very aggravating when I went back and saw that um particularly because it didn't seem like that OU really had a day where they should have lost originally but the fact that you go back and see where they could have and possibly possibly should have 
then you have something like that happen. I think that that's uncalled for overall. I'm not saying that that's solely what decided the game, but what I am saying is that that is a horrible officiating decision, which you agree with and should not have been made, which in turn did result in helping cost the game. Yes. Not that it was the definitive factor, but that it was involved in it. And I don't want to see that happen to another team on an even bigger stage. Right. Um, and I, even, I, I will even say, though, with that, to actually have a little bit of positivity from a Kansas State perspective, Skylar Thompson was back for his first time since getting injured by Southern Illinois. And I think that's one of the best performances he's had in purple. And on top of that, Deuce Vaughn, um, the week that Darren Sproles came into town, was able to put up a Darren Sproles-esque performance. And he also did pretty well as well. Not as much in the running game, but he was the leading receiver uh, going for under, over 100 yards, uh, over 150 yards um, from scrimmage and getting a touchdown. You know, so I think those are a couple highlights. I still think Kansas State's a good football team, particularly a good Big 12 team. But that's very unfortunate and really shouldn't have happened. It's disappointing. Yeah. So... That, that's the that's the other you know kind of thing I can say in regards to that. So continuing now on with the questions after that annoying bit of work, um, I, I wanted to ask if you have any changes to your Heisman list as I feel like this is something where with a couple other questions we should be talking about kind of throughout the rest of the year since you know, eventually we're going to kind of get down to that point. I don't know if you really have anyone definitive. I don't know if you just want to like name names. Uh, but I, I will actually ask before the Heisman list. And if we don't want to add names or not, um, I want to actually ask before that the top five quarterbacks that you have, because I think that's actually something very reasonable that we can talk about. And I have a lot of honorable mentions too. All right. Um... And I've ordered. So I've ordered this time. Well, this year is going to – I think this year is tough. I don't think that – I mean, for uh-huh. quarterbacks especially. Like, okay, here's the thing. We were talking about whoever wins the game, Ole Miss, Alabama, whoever wins that game probably beats the Heisman vote. So right now I think Bryce Young is definitely in the lead, and I don't think you can dismiss Matt Corral, but neither of them had other worldly performances. I don't think either of them had Heisman performances where it's like, okay, yeah, he is the definitive. Uh, I think Bryce Young is definitely leading the pack right now. I mean, I'm looking at him right now. He's 73% completion. That's top 10 in the country. That's top five in the country. Uh, in yards, he's up there, uh, top 20, you know, 17 to two touchdown interception ratio. He's, he's doing really well. A guy who won't win it, but, I mean, he's just throwing the ball a lot. Uh, Jake Hayner, kid from Fresno State, they had a loss to Hawaii. That's never good for a Heisman resume. Uh, led that daring, daring drive against UCLA a couple weeks ago uh, that put him on the map. He's the only quarterback in the FBS uh, in the country over 2,000 yards passing. He's got an 18 to 6 touchdown interception ratio. Obviously, you brought up Brennan Armstrong, but like neither, none of those guys to me. I mean, Kenny Pickett is going off right now. I will say that Kenny Pickett is having a nice season 19 passing touchdowns to one pick. Uh, who is this kid from Tanner Mordecai? I'm just looking at ESPN stats right now. This kid's already at 24 touchdowns and only 181 pass attempts for SMU. Okay, maybe that's a name to look out for. I think SMU is ranked now. Uh, SMU at 5 and 0. Let's look at his game stats here. Oh, he's, he's okay. This guy's catching my eye. Maybe I'll watch some Mustangs football as we uh, move on through the season. Uh, Tanner Mordecai is from Waco. Did he play at Baylor? I have no idea. Um, yeah, I would just go uh, 
Bryce Young as my top guy. I can't give I I can't give you four other names that are honest outside of like Matt Coral and maybe Armstrong and screw it, ten or more guy for Heisman. Uh, actually, you know what? I'll throw Desmond Ritter Desmond Ritter in there. Uh, Cincinnati uh, QB having a nice year, not really lighting it up or anything like that. I'm trying to find his passing stats. It doesn't look like he's near the top of college football at all. Uh, so that's gonna hurt him because it's a stats category. Uh, obviously, Kenneth Walker is probably getting a lot of love. Travion Henderson from Ohio State has finally been given the backfield all to himself. Uh, so that's a running back name that I would look out for. Uh, had a big game against Tulsa outside of that. Okay, maybe maybe not. I mean, only got eight attempts against Akron and Rutgers. No, you can't do that. I don't know. I, I can't honestly give you more Heisman names. Uh, Jane Reed, Michigan State, leading the nation in all-purpose yards. How about that? Two, two uh, punt return touchdowns. So I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't give you too many other names other than that that are completely honest. Uh, I'll, I'll give you quarterbacks, um, and then I can give you Heisman since it sounds like you're kind of going towards that one as well. Um, I'll give you my five, actually, in order because I have it in both. Uh, Quarterback-wise, uh, I have Bryce Young. Uh, I have Pickett as well at two. Um, just, yeah, I just want to make sure it's Kenny Pickett. Uh, then you have Matt Coral. Then you have Brendan Armstrong. Then you have someone that I kind of smiled when you mentioned him, Tanner Mordecai. Uh, I think they're all guys that really deserve to be on this list. Um a lot of them are 70% completion. Uh, Mordecai is, uh, Pickett is, uh, Armstrong was there. He's slightly fallen off, but still 60, uh, about 65% is pretty good. Um, and then I'm pretty sure both Young and Coral are also there as well. Um, but they have all had pretty excellent seasons to start. Young, of course, on one of the best teams in college football. Uh, Pickett on an offense that has been moving. Coral as well on an offense has been moving, but then also put up a pretty solid performance against Alabama, no turnovers, um, averaging about the 66% completion. I think that's a pretty noteworthy game if you if Ole Miss starts to look really strong towards the end. Brennan Armstrong has looks like the he, he's kind of thrown UVA on his back and has made UVA look very competitive. And then Tanner Mordecai, as you kind of mentioned, he's been incredible for SMU. And he's going to be the, really the guy to be concerned about when you're coming up against uh, Cincinnati. And then obviously he's already thrown 24 touchdowns as well. Pretty impressive. Other names that I have on here, just kind of like his little uh, shout outs. I have Spencer Rattler because even though he hasn't been outstanding, he has great completion. He's leading the team. Uh, they only have the, what, the one loss. Or whatever. I mean, o- overall, he's been pretty solid, though fans have had backlash on him. Um, you have Tolia Tungabailoa up there. Uh, other than that horrible game against Iowa, he had actually been doing pretty well for Maryland. Uh, you have Jay Kaner up there. You have CJ Stroud, Malik Willis, Malik Cunningham. Uh, I also have Desmond Ritter up there. And last guy that I wanted to throw up there, not off bias at all. This is actually purely off his stats, uh, and he might even end towards this conversation at the, you know, probably top 10 part, Hennon Hooker. Hooker has looked incredible for Tennessee ever since he's come in um, as their starter, and he's actually averaging pretty well. I'm going to go to the SEC to even kind of look at his stats a little bit more in depth. Um, Hennon Hooker, uh, as he's come in, I, uh, he almost has a thousand yards already. He started like what, two and a half games. He's averaging yeah. about 10 yards, 10 touchdowns and a single interception, really good QBR 182.5. That was another one of the things I looked at. 
that's why I have him up there because I feel like he might end towards that bottom. It's it's, it's not terrible. And look, I, I can't. I, I'm not going to go against it personally. I'm a I'm waiting just a little bit longer for for him. It's nice to see him succeeding, obviously. But uh, I mean, just taking a look at his game stats, we we know that he's dual threat. We know that that's in his game, and that was seen to the maximum capacity against Missouri. Uh, I mean, high completion percentage. You know, three touchdowns, didn't turn the ball over, hasn't really turned the ball over at all, uh, except for yeah, when he was thrown in there against Pitt. But his run, his running game was on full display, 15 yard, fifteen attempts for 80 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, That, that wins you football games. And Hendon Hooker has been he, – he looks really good for uh, Tennessee. You know, we'll, we'll see how they do with the rest of their schedule. But, I mean, he should have he should have been starting from day one. I'm telling you this. But uh, let me just see who they've got the rest of the way. I mean, I mean, they can beat South Carolina, but then they've got a gauntlet of Ole Miss, Alabama, Kentucky, Georgia. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right, so he he might not look that impressive uh, down the stretch considering he's going up against tough opponents. But, uh, no, he can, get him, he can get him to a bowl game for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of overall where I'm at there. Um, Heisman-wise, I'll also, I mean, give you this as well. But, I mean, yeah, that's, that, uh, that's why I have him thrown up there because I feel like Hendon Hooker is going to kind of reach that towards the back end. Um, I have Bryce Young. Kenneth Walker, Kenny Pickett, Matt Coral, and then um, from Texas, I just want to make sure I get his first name right. Uh, the other, the number two running back in the nation right now, uh, Bijan Robinson, um, mm. really winning Texas that game against TCU. Uh, that's that's my list right now for the Heisman. So few changes, or, or at least a couple changes there. No more Armstrong, no more Josh Downs, but Downs is on the outside of it. He had put up a good performance this past weekend against Duke, and then you also have uh calvin austin the third from memphis who's one of the best if not the best receiver in the nation right now and then you also have Brees hall for iowa state um because you know he's been a huge part of that offense but those those guys are just on the outside as well i just want to mention them. but yeah and uh kenneth walker for as much as i love him he didn't have the most explosive game. and here's like texas is if they decide to end up riding Bijan Robinson uh, for the rest of the way, like they gave him 35 attempts and Kenneth Walker hasn't had more than 27 in the game. If, if they want Kenneth Walker to really stay in the Heisman conversation and keep his rushing lead, which has shrunk against uh, Bijan Robinson ever so slightly, you know, he's only leading him by 28 yards on the year. Uh, they'll need to feed him the ball. So, I mean, we'll see what Michigan State ends up doing with that. I know Mel Tucker likes his balance. I don't know what Steve Sarkeesian wants to do with Texas this year. I know it's a building year for him, but if he wants to just ride B. John Robinson out, he can definitely surpass uh, Kenneth Walker, even as early as this week. Yeah, I mean, I, I do actually generally agree with that. But, you know, Kenneth Walker has been great. So, um, yeah. Uh, from there, we have a couple more team questions and then the very uh, the, the, the normal last question of the week. Um, but again, these team questions here, uh, a, a quick one here. I think we're both going to agree on this. Uh, is Pitt's offense the most legit thing in the ACC? And with that, I should also mention outside of defense because Clemson and Virginia Tech's defense is having pretty legit as well. All right, well, then I guess you stole my answer away from me. Uh, then, yes, it is the most uh, legit thing in the <laughs> ACC because I was going to go with Clemson and Virginia Tech's defense. Um, look, UNC, <laughs> Georgia Tech, they're too inconsistent for me. UVA's offense is there, but they've had a down game. Pitt hasn't. Pitt is one of, what was it, 12 teams since 2005 that – have scored 40 or more in their first five games. Yep. They're elite. What, what can I, what more can I say? Like they brought in a guy with an NFL background as an offensive coordinator and Kenny Pickett has picked up 
this year. I think he's been there for a couple of years now with their OC, but everything's finally, finally clicking now. And look, their defense on the road did pretty well against a dynamic quarterback that Georgia Tech has. He's a guy that can run, guy that can throw a little bit. And they made him uncomfortable. And they went down to Atlanta and they just took what they came for, which was a big W. They have jumped up my ACC power rank. I won't spoil where, but yeah, it's definitely got to be the most complete thing in the, like, it's the thing that I have the most confidence in if you're not giving me defenses. It's definitely the most complete side of the ball. And honestly, even if you gave me defenses, like it's up, like Virginia Tech's defense and Clemson's defense are up there, but Pitt's offense is nationally good. I'm willing to say that. Like Clemson's defense is nationally good. I'm not there with Virginia Tech's defense. I'm there with Pitt's offense. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I kind of realized, uh, too, when I was reading this, that there's a couple things that I knew you and I would also think were legit in the ACC. So if I was to say the three things that I think are the most legit in the ACC, it's the Pitt offense, it's the Clemson defense, and it's the Virginia Tech defense, Virginia Tech defense in that order, with the only outside shot being, uh, the talent of Brandon Armstrong. Um, and that, that would have been something that would have been in there before Pitt and et cetera. I think that this Pittsburgh offense is solid. Um, I feel like, uh, I mean, I'm not going to say anything about my ACC power rankings, mostly because I don't even have them yet. I'll have them for the episode. Um, but I, I, I personally feel like the, that, that the Pit Panthers are going to be a bit intimidating. And I've seen this on VT Twitter. Um, and I think we've even talked, we, we, I even talked about this last week. I'm very concerned when Pitt comes into town. Because I feel like they might embarrass sure. us. Yeah, it can happen. And look, they're lost to Western Michigan. Western Michigan can end up winning their conference. So a group of five conference winner, it's not a terrible loss, and it's an early loss in the season that they can shake off. It's honestly, it's kind of like a Liberty loss or a Notre Dame loss. Just throw it away. You know, if you lose, you have a bad game. You can, your, your end goal is still there. Uh, I know for Pitt fans, it's definitely a stain on the season. But at the end of the day, your offense is still killing it. Your defense just let you down that day. And that offense means you can compete for the conference title. And that means a New Year's Six Bowl. That means, you know, real stakes. And, you know, Pat Narduzzi has needed a year like this. Like, he took them to the uh, conference championship game that one year. But they backed into it. You know, they did this coastal thing where they're 8-4 and four going into the game, barely ranked, get beat on by Clemson. Pat Narduzzi needs this because his job was definitely up for grabs uh this season so having his offensive coordinator really come in and help him with this definitely helps his uh job security now well well they i don't think they could they can afford a stinker because that defense is still a question mark but yeah i agree that offense is definitely the thing yeah um i i mean i definitely agree with all that um and it's going to be very intriguing to see not only where we have them ranked, but it's going to be very intriguing to see how the rest of the season goes with them. I don't know. I could see them. This isn't even a spoiler, but I could see that kind of carrying them to the ACC game with how bad ACC has been this year. We'll see. Um, the other team thing I want to talk about before we talk about our highs and lows from this week is off of their outstanding performance against Arkansas. Do you think, because I know that you're, I think you're even prefacing this a little bit, do you think Georgia's the team to beat in college football? Here's my thing. They had to start Stetson Bennett. So if JT Daniels comes back, I'll go with, I'll go with yes. If JT Daniels is out for a considerable amount of time, I will reconsider. 
But even with Stetson Bennett, that defense, oh my God, that defense is so good. Like, it's better than Alabama's. Even though Alabama's, I still think it's top five because they were able to do what they did to Matt Coral. You know what? Right now, I'll, I'll go with yes. I'll be bold. I'm going to say Georgia is better than Alabama. Uh, even if Alabama, I think Alabama might have better weapons on offense, but again, Alabama's offense against that Georgia defense, I'll take Georgia's defense. I'll go with them. Yeah, I, I, I really like them this year. And I know it's Saban, but I really think that they can, I, I really think that they can do it this year. And even if it's not in the SEC championship game, I think that they can come out on top in the national championship game. I, when I thought about this question, because it was specifically something that we, uh, have, that I think that you've talked about, I don't know. I've, I've really, really wanted to side with you and say, yeah. And I want to be bold and say that kind of like how I'm willing to, with you know, uh, our Bearcats. But what I'm concerned by is this. And what I'm concerned by is, is, yeah, I think Georgia might honestly have the best defense in college football. What I'm concerned by is I don't know how long the JT, Dan uh, JT Daniels injury is. I don't think it's a long injury, but that's my concern. My concern is that without a guy who honestly could be a decent quarterback prospect as well, JT Daniels, uh, someone who's kind of been talked about since his USC days. Um, I, th I think without that leadership and with the offense already showing for Georgia that it can be a little bit poor against a good defense like Clemson when they had the 10 to three stinker at the beginning of the year, it's a bit concerning. That's not saying that they can't do it. That's not saying that they won't, but I feel like all in all, Alabama's a more complete team. I think Georgia might have the best defense in the nation, but I think that Alabama has the most complete team in the nation, as they tend to do. And no matter how much I love defense in really any sport, offense is key. Offense has been uh, has helped a lot with predictions and talking about college football in general. It's, you know, why we hyped up Pitt. And it's why I, I can't jump off the cliff and say that Georgia is the team to beat. That's why I'm not there yet. I think if their offense can show me something, if JT Daniels is there, like, like show me something where I can feel like amazing, then I'll say, yes, absolutely. I'm 100% sold. If not, then I think it'll be a fun game, but I'd still have to go with Alabama. So I just saw what uh, Kirby Smart was talking about. Uh, they're not going to have JT Daniels throw today uh, on Monday, but it looks like he will be worked back into practice. They're, they're going up against Auburn. They're on the road, yes, but I really think they're just that much better than Auburn. Like Auburn's not. Uh, I, I don't think Auburn's too much of a test right now. No, yeah. So uh, even if Stetson Bennett is the starter, I think that they can run the ball and he can make some simple throws. Like he went through the ball 11 times, uh, but I think JT Daniels does have that element that they need. Now, the, um, the SEC game of the week is Arkansas Ole Miss, period. Yeah, definitely. There are those are two teams that are trying to stay relevant after just getting just getting destroyed by the two real teams. So they're basically fighting to, you know, get back into that top ten conversation. And you know, th those are two teams that you know just want to just need to bounce back, really. 
Uh, and now we're reaching that time in the episode where we get to talk about the teams that gained and lost our confidence this week. So whether it's a bad performance, whether it's a good performance, et cetera, et cetera, what teams gained and lost confidence for you after this week of college football? Uh, how about Florida as a lose? Um, yeah. Surprising loss to Kentucky. I didn't know Kentucky was back like this, but uh, look, Stoops is not fully sold, but yeah. What was that? I said, I'm still not fully sold on Kentucky, but yeah, I agree. Well, but Mark Stoops is a really good coach. Uh, so I really, and it's Kentucky, so it's a really tough place to win. Um, he hasn't won anything of meaning there, but you know, he, he's built something respectable. So yeah, I'll, I'll sell on Florida. Definitely. They, you know, they dropped a lot in the rankings. Uh, also Ohio state, you know, they had a really good win against Rutgers and look, I know Rutgers is the butt of the joke, but Rutgers is a, is a respectable program with Shiano there. I think now in his second year. And I'll think he'll just continue to build that. And they went out and they torched him. And that defense fixed it. They, they got Stroud back, who had a really nice bounce back game. They're back, I think, in control of their destiny for the college football playoff. Uh, I think everyone respects them a little bit more now. I think everyone disrespects Oregon a little bit more. I'll still say I'm on board with Oregon as a Pac-12 champ, but you can't lose to Stanford, man. I mean, that just basically throws your entire plans out the Stanford window. Stanford two big top 25 upsets, though. That's true. And David Shaw knows how to coach that program, so good with that. Um, obviously all in on Cincy and sell, sell, sell Notre Dame. I mean, they can beat Virginia Tech. I would not care. No, I, I don't think Notre Dame's good. I'm just waiting for them to get to that point in the season where they win 10 games. They go to a bowl game against a good team like Arkansas and get their doors blown off. So yeah, no, I, th- th- those are some names. I actually have some more this week for you. Um, so let's throw, let's throw Iowa in there, I guess, you know, their, their defense yeah. It's convincing me that they can sustain it. That that was my concern. They can't sustain that those turnovers, but as long as they can, you know, they're dangerous. So awesome. I, I mean, I, I I agree with a lot of those. Um, how about Okie State? How about Oki State as a nice Big Twelve cha- Big Twelve uh, champion pick? I agree. I agree. Uh, well, actually, you know what? No, I disagree. And here's why: if you actually look at the stats of that game, their quarterback almost threw them out of the game. He had a touchdown, three interceptions. I don't know when you're coming up against another competent Big 12 opponent like um, like Oklahoma or Iowa State. I don't know if that holds up, particularly if he has another one touchdown, three interception performance. Yeah, and look, Spencer Sanders isn't the most dynamic guy, but it's just like this is, this is not a good conference. Their running back kept him in. But I, I, I can understand wh- where you're coming from with him. It's just I'm looking at the top of the conference and like, okay, you're giving me Oklahoma. Okay, I'll take I'll take Oklahoma State. I, I'm not – I'm. Sure. Like, I just don't have that trust in Oklahoma at all. I mean, no, no I, I, I can see that. I mean, I'll say... I'll leave like, a couple more up. games from Rattler like that. But even still, again, yes, yeah, it was high completion percentage. It wasn't, like, world-ending, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, a couple teams that lost this week that gained a lot more confidence for me is Louisville and Kansas State. Uh, Kansas State, after having a disappointing loss against Oki State, you know, they... As I kind of mentioned in the rant, they probably should have beat Oklahoma. Um, so I think being able to compete with a team that, whether you like it or not, they are a top 10 team. I think that's something to not take lightly. And I think that it shows that Kansas State is competitive. It's just a function of putting it all together in the big games, kind of like how they're able to kind of sort of against, or not kind of sort of, but the, how they're able to against Nevada without Skylar Thompson and how they're able to do week one when they should have shut out Stanford. I still think Kansas State's a good team. It's just, they, as I said, they need to put it all together. 
Um, and then for Louisville, uh, competing with the top team, I think, in the ACC, Wake Forest, uh, the Demon Deacons, they were able to, to go really well. And it was really until like that last drive where they lost the game it was the, with the Shiva 30-yard field goal. Malik Cunningham had a solid game. Uh, Mitchell had a solid game rushing for them. And they were able to take it to the uh, Demon Deacons at home. So I think that is something that will move Louisville up my power ranking personally. But on top of that, I think that they kind of show with that that they're a competitive team. And when, you know, going down the line, they're coming up against uh, strong, like slightly weaker opponents, like maybe Virginia this week at home. Or when you're coming up against like that NC State, a team that I said that I think can get upset by lower tiered teams to them, kind of like performance based, I can see them winning those games. Uh, I can see them beating like a Kentucky at home or, you know, basically things like that. That's why I'm saying that I think that it shows that Louisville's competitive. It's really a lot on their defense, kind of like how it is with Pitt. They're basically like Pitt light, in my opinion. They're basically like, they're, they're solid offense. I'm pretty sold on their offense, but I'm definitely not sold on their defense. Their defense has lost them games. Same thing with Pitt, but Louisville's lost two games because of their defense now. They could have and possibly should have upset Wake Forest at home. Uh, otherwise, I mean, Iowa just becomes even higher up there for me. Uh, I feel like they're virtually, virtually a college football playoff lock, but they just have to beat Penn State this week. And if they beat Penn State this week, other than tripping on themselves, they're they're in that area. So well, I mean, I really, again, it, it does come down to the Big Ten championship game. I think a loss in oh, the Big Ten championship sure. game hurts them. And I and look, obviously, there's a lot of different other factors at play, but you know, they beat Penn State. Penn State's behind, and then they'll have to play Ohio State. Uh, Penn State will. They might lose that game. I because th- I think they're in Columbus this year. Look, Iowa versus Ohio State. That's a, that's like probably another top five matchup. By the time that that comes around, they're probably looking at another Iowa four, Ohio State five, and you're looking back at the 2015 game where Iowa was undefeated. Really, really great defense that year. Knocking on the doorstep, and Michigan State just came in and won at the end, and it really blue for their program and who knows maybe they're on the same path for this year maybe they can rewrite the history sure um in a, a teams here in a matchup that actually both won and lost my confidence on either side of it uh gaining my confidence is mississippi state losing my confidence is AM. Uh, m as i talked about last week at, uh, or when we were talking about them versus alabama i said i wasn't sold on them and i was kind of right at home they lose to mississippi state um i i like isaiah spiller Otherwise, I'm not really a fan of this AM team. Whereas on the other hand, if you look at Mississippi State, how about Will Rogers? He's someone that I didn't even talk about in the quarterback conversation. And honestly, that's a bit disrespectful. He should have been talked about in that conversation. He's third in the country in yards. He's tied for seventh in touchdowns. Uh, he only he's only thrown two interceptions and his QBR is a bit low, but I mean, hey, he's done pretty well and he's only a sophomore. So give him a couple of years. Maybe he could be their, their the second time of their uh their, I didn't get the words right, but the, the second, second coming of Dak Prescott. Prescott. Yep. That's what I was meaning. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. in terms of his completion percentage, it's impressive that he's above 75%. Cause you know, when you're running yep. the Mike Leach air raid, you know, you have to, you can't be a guy that turns the ball over a lot. So no, it's Mike Leach needs to find a guy that can fit his system and look, their two losses, their two losses are one score games uh, to Memphis exactly. and to LSU. So, you know, at the end of the day, they just need their defense to pick it up a little bit. But if they can win close games rather than lose them, you know, they're two and two in one score games in games that are decided by less than a field goal. 
So, you know, well, not less than a field goal because they just beat AM by four. But, you know, this this could be a dangerous team. And they're going into yeah. they might be a year away from really being into that next tier in the SEC because the SEC looks really solid. You know, Kentucky has entered the conversation. Ole Miss and Arkansas are still there. They have to play Alabama. They have to play Auburn. I mean, the fact that they're in the SEC West really just hurts them. But, I mean, all in all, though, this is a very sneaky team in the SEC. And sure, they could pull another upset this year. I, I, I don't doubt it. I, I can see them pulling off another couple upsets. I guess all we'll right. see where. But I think they can. I think that they have the build for it. So, uh, Mississippi State definitely up there for me. I want to see if there's really anyone else. I mean, I wouldn't say, oh, you lost confidence for me this week um, just because, you know, they're able to win in Manhattan. I think it's just more of a gaining for Kansas State. Um Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't say Clemson lost confidence for me this week, but they certainly haven't gained it either. I am not sold on Kentucky personally, but I guess we'll see. Um, how about losing confidence Oregon as well? I, I think you talked about it as well. Uh, I mean, you know, you kind of have to. I mean, just the team's not that impressive. Um, something I didn't know, pretty sure Michael Pittman of Indianapolis Bulls brother, Micah Pittman is on this team. At least they, they look very similar. So well, how about I, I that? think that they're relatives. I'm pretty sure they're relatives. I, I'm saying that without context, I'm going to make sure I'm not dumb. But <laughs> well, here, well, here's Oregon's problem. Oregon's problem has been C.J. Verdell announced himself at the OSU game, and he hasn't been good since. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Oh, my I God. Let's get I, out I of here. Let's get, let's get this show over with before you say anything that really ends your career. <laughs> no, 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 I didn't. I was right. They're, they're brothers. Oh, I was right. God. No, I, don't. <laughs> I, I thought it was right, but then I realized I had looked it up, and I'm like, oh, shoot, I should probably look it up first. But, yeah. no, I mean, yeah, I mean, Stanford, as, as I said, they've, they've been giant killers twice this year. They've been able to beat USC, and they've been able to beat Oregon. Um, the only uh, top 25 team that they didn't beat was UCLA, and they lost to them by 11. So I don't think that's really a, a boost to Stanford or anything. It's just more of a, hey, good job, Stanford. Uh, and I guess the other team I'll boost for this week is BYU. Uh, I think they're on their third string quarterback and still performing well. And they're running back, just to give a big shout out to him, Tyler Algier, a sophomore. This past game rushed for 218 yards and three touchdowns, basically putting the team on his back against Utah State, uh, Utah State University. So big game for BYU. Uh, and they have some pretty uh, more big ones coming up as a top 10 school. They have Baylor, they have UVA, and then they also have Though, I mean, this kind of a program has fallen apart this year, USC. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really have uh, much more ranking for that otherwise. Not too many lows this week, more highs. So, yeah. You know what I'd love to see? I'd love to see BYU and Coastal Carolina duke it out again. Uh, I mean, mean, I'm looking at BYU having a game November 6th against Idaho State. They they don't need that. Who who, who does Coastal play that week? Let me see. Uh, Because, I mean, those are two teams that aren't going to be able to surpass an undefeated Cincinnati for that like group of five, non-power five uh, ranking. So, you know, if they wanted to try to get in the good, in the committee's good graces, uh, let's see, who does Coastal play this week of November 6th? Um, they play Georgia Southern. Cancel that game. I know, oh, wait, it's a conference game. Uh, dang. Doesn't look, doesn't, doesn't look like I'll be able to get my wish of a repeat. We can get Bill Roth back on national television again. I digress. All right. I think that's a good place to end today's episode. Maybe it went a little long, but we will be back tomorrow with you guys for the NFL weekend recap. Sands, uh, Monday Night Football, because we're recording on Monday. So with that being said, for 
Colburn Merchant. I'm Dan Steinbach. Thank you guys so much for listening. Have a great day and take care.